0: Hello and welcome to the Powered by Rock Podcast, where we're going to be speaking with a longtime friend and one of the best damn guitar players I've known personally, who has an upcoming EP about to hit the internet. It's Mitch Purvis of Common Ear, coming up next. You're listening to the Powered by Rock Podcast with your host, Isaac Kuhlman. The Powered by Rock Podcast was created to help showcase some of the best rock musicians in the world and to pass on to future generations the rock music that has inspired rock fans around the world for decades. We want listeners to be able to hear great stories and life experiences directly from their favorite artists, as well as dig deeper into music theory and talk rock like no other show you've ever heard. This isn't about looking cool. It's about getting real and having a great time. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, 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 welcome to the Powered by Rock podcast. Today's an excellent show because I get to talk all things rock with a good friend of mine, someone I've known uh, since about 2001 or so, a man who shreds incredibly hard on the old six string, and he has just added a newborn daughter on top of the two sons of his ever-growing future family band. I can only imagine how insanely time crunched and stressful putting out new, new music must be, but after all that, here he is putting out another EP for his musical project, Commoner, Mitch Purvis. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Good to have you here. Applause. <laughs> <like> yeah. <laughs> so I, I I think it's funny because obviously the intro song is it's it's actually Ryan, who was from Speedway Sleeper and, and your band, um, Birds of Filters. And I told him I'll probably never get to interview another person who um, does that did the intro. But I guess here's another person who also was part of the intro.
1: Yeah, although I don't get to take too much credit for that song. A little bit of lead guitar, but Ryan was the yeah. really driving force behind that
0: band. Yeah, and it's a great song. So, you know, like, like I said, um, bring it on. And, and it's the best intro music, I think, of all time. So anybody anybody else who has intro music for their show, you you You, you can't mess up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, the first thing I want to say is congr- congratulations on the baby girl. How are Thanks. the boys taken and how insane is the life right now?
1: It's, yeah, it's crazy. It's time consuming. I feel like we're starting the Purvis family instead of the Partridge family. So we'll have like a (laughs) five piece rock band here in in no time, but it's, it's good. Um, I've enjoyed, I've had a month off from work. So that's been nice.
0: Nice.
1: Giving me a little bit of time to kind of do some of the promotional things for the new EP, which I'm not good at at all. Um, (laughs) So, you know, trying to get the word out there a little bit and, uh, you know, do all the the finishing touches, which are the things that I just absolutely suck at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the mastering and then the track listing and all that good stuff. It's all got to go somewhere. And and as independent musicians, that's the stuff that can be time consuming for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So before we get into some of the deeper, greater topics that I want to bring up today, I first want to ask about your journey, because this is something that, you know, other than myself and maybe Ryan and a couple of our friends, a lot of people are not going to know. And It's always good to get the backstory so um what was kind of the reason you started playing music and what were some of the influences you had artist wise or maybe people around you and when did you decide that you know what i want to do this long term whether it's you know as a hobby or you know as a side project or whatever but you know you've been a lifelong musician like myself so how did you decide that this was something you wanted to do
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of grew up in a musical family to a certain extent. Um, my grandma on my mom's side was a music teacher in, uh, middle school and high school. And, uh, my mom was pretty musically inclined herself. She did a lot of singing. My dad played the flute. It's kind of a weird instrument, but, um, he's, he's always played the flute still does plays in like Like a a Ron
0: Burgundy's like jazz flautist. Yeah.
1: (laughs) He's still rocking it plays in kind of like a folk type, uh, like a they do uh, dances like traditional folk dances and then play, you know, whatever Russian folk music or awesome. Irish folk music, <laughs> Celtic music and stuff like that. So, um, you know, they encouraged me to do things musically when I was younger and I never did. Unfortunately, like I, I remember my mom, my mom begging me to play piano or uh, join a choir. And I always kind of felt like I didn't want to do that. I was a sports guy when I was growing up. So I uh, played basketball and baseball and then transitioned to golf. but. By the time I got to high school, I got the bug, um, you know, a good friend of ours, he just spoke to on the podcast, Ryan Nelson from Speedway Sleeper. He picked up an acoustic guitar when we were 14, 15, somewhere in there and uh, pressured me to grab one, too. So I did and then found myself skipping class to play guitar and. Uh, you know, didn't so he was like a down. drug
0: pusher, but it was like a guitar instead of like weed or something.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> hey man, let's uh, so skip school and let's go play guitar. That was that
1: was pretty much it. So you know, we started <laughs> writing songs in my basement, and uh, I sort of took a took a liking to lead guitar. Started playing a lot of lead guitar. He was you know doing a lot of songwriting and um, really proficient at uh, the rhythm parts and all that stuff. So I found myself just kind of being an accompaniment to him and from there it just continued to evolve you know played in a couple of bands in eugene for six seven eight years somewhere in there uh one of which i just primarily played lead guitar again and then another that i uh, fronted after that and uh started my journey into songwriting and um that you know was kind of short-lived my my wife and i moved to Portland area after that and I found myself kind of solo and and with kids and you know yeah. when you have kids they're extremely time consuming so you got to find a way to start making music on your own and and uh you know do the closet recording thing so <laughs> I found myself doing that put out a little EP in 2017 that um you know I, I was pretty proud of and thought that it was something I should build on so I kind of stuck with the brand stuck with the common ear name and now here's EP number two coming out soon.
0: Nice. So, obviously, when you moved into the the, the Commoner project, I mean, what was that decision like? I mean, was it just, hey, I don't want to put music out as, as Mitch Purvis? Or was it like, I, I don't know how often I'm going to put music out, so maybe this is just a one-off thing for now and see what happens?
1: I kind of thought I wanted to start a band. So I was trying to get a band name going, you know, from the start. And the original intent was, to try to grab other musicians who might want to, you know, play the other parts, and over time, I found it just—I don't know—too time-consuming. Or again, again, I'm not a good marketer, so <laughs> I, I'm not good at getting out and asking people to, you know, come over and jam. Or
0: yeah. Um, well, if you're in the Portland area, uh, I'll give you Mitch's phone number in the link below. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you go. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I uh, went through the painstaking process of picking a band name, which is never easy. Um, and I'm one of those, uh, hyper insecure individuals sometimes who, uh, you know, probably that's part of the reason why I didn't want to use my, my first and last name. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Settled you want to call it the Mitch and,
0: Purvis project or the Mitch yeah. Purvis 3 or something? <laughs>
1: yeah. It'd be, it'd be a hit in Holland, you know, big, big Dutch last name. So yeah, maybe I'll do that there.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I know one of the previous band names that we had kind of kicked around for a band that we fictionally put together was called suddenly susan why didn't you go with that
1: <laughs> you know what suddenly susan <laughs> oh they they stood alone in their own right so there's no way that i could trample on that name uh it would be sacrilegious
0: yeah i think you actually came up with that obviously based on the what was a brooke shields tv show from back in like the late 90s early 2000s for some reason that was you you latched on that name it was like let's call our band suddenly susan i'm like why the hell would we do that
1: <laughs> yeah you know why? why not <laughs>
0: So let's talk about the new EP that you're putting out later this month, which, oh, by the way, you'll uh, see a link to pre-save it in the show notes, but I know that you have been working your ass off on this EP. Uh, it takes guys like you and I kind of a while to feel like our final project is good. In fact, I know for myself, I pretty much at some point just say, fuck it, getting it out there is better than, than nothing, and it's not going to get any better because I'm just not going to put the time in at, at this point to make it yeah. much better, and I just released the music, but. That's me, that's probably why nobody ever likes my music and I'm the only fan that I have, but uh, what's your take on the process to make this EP and, and the production side in general?
1: Oh gosh, yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. I mean, for me, it started with a bunch of songs from previous bands and previous projects I was in that just were sitting unfinished. And I liked them enough that I felt like, you know, they deserved a chance to to be a finished product and actually have people listen to them. So Um, that's kind of where I found myself. The the first EP, all six songs were songs that I had previously written that again, they were just sitting there. So I decided to finish them on my own. Um, and then this new EP, I had a couple still left over that, that I really like, um, decided that I wanted to, you know, kind of take them in a different direction, rework the lyrics a little bit. Um, and then through that process of, you know, getting those tracks down and, um, doing the, the other instruments and the mixing and the mastering, you know, you're
0: diddling around
1: and, uh, coming up with new riffs and, you know, new sparks of inspiration flying about and, you know, four other songs, uh, ended up kind of sticking to the wall as well. So, um, from there, you know, I, I, I've done most of the instrumentation myself. So it's just, it's been a lot of sitting around and whether it's jamming on a bass or a guitar or a keyboard, just kind of you know, catch something that you feel like is worth sticking with and then see, see what happens, you know, yeah. flesh it out and, and see if it turns into a song.
0: Yeah. And just kind of to give an idea of, you know, the process and, and the length of time sometimes it takes. I mean, how long have you been working on this? What is it? Six songs now? I think six or seven yeah. songs. Yeah.
1: Uh Geez. I mean, I probably started in earnest 18 months ago yeah um 2 years ago somewhere in there <laughs> you know it's it really it started with two songs that um i spent way too much time on <laughs> and you know i think somebody who um who does mixing and arranging and and producing you can appreciate that you can get stuck in a rut sometimes trying to get a track to sound perfect and yeah. you know in your in your mind it sounds like a certain thing and uh then when you actually play it back you know, if it's not quite there, you just think, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to tweak this a little bit or I'm going to add this layer or I'm going to take something away and I'm going to turn it into exactly what it needs to sound like. And, you know, I, I did that for, for quite a while trying to just polish two songs, thinking yeah. that, you know, I just wanted to kind of put them out as standalones. And again, throughout that process, jamming on some other stuff, I, I sort of stumbled upon some other riffs that eventually evolved into, hey, this could be a song. And then, you know, lo and behold, I've got six tracks that, um, you know, the other four certainly was a more speedy process. Although I I can get caught in the weeds really bad and I I have a tendency to get caught in the weeds really bad. So, yeah. So
0: I mean, for people out there who are like, Oh yeah, I want to produce my own music. It takes, there's a steep learning curve I think for a lot of us. And then not only is it the learning curve, but the over analytical part of that when you're, when You're the one left to do your own mixing and mastering, you will tinker to to nth degrees that probably a professional might not <laughs> like there's like here's what I think it should sound like, and here's what it's gonna sound like, and then it comes back to you, and you're like, pretty close. Here's some notes, and then it's done. But like you're doing it yourself. And and in the end, I think that's kind of what you did with the the full ep is you actually got some some help with the, the the end production and the mastering as well didn't you
1: yeah the, the mastering i've used the same guy for both records actually so I'm, I'm pretty much doing everything except for the mastering and yeah uh the the aforementioned ryan nelson he's he's helped me with some bass parts as well which has been uh huge but um audio siege i got to give a shout out to to brad boatwright at audio siege uh, up here in portland he's a phenomenal mastering engineer um he's done some pretty um pretty well-known albums he actually did the stranger things soundtrack
0: oh wow uh, mastered
1: wow. that and uh, received some awards for it so he's a great guy uh, does an awesome job is much faster and uh obviously needless to say much better than <laughs> i could ever be at mastering uh, a track but you know i think mastering is something that it's almost better left to a different set of ears yeah you can you know you you get again you get caught up in in a rut sometimes or you get an idea of what your song needs to sound like in your head but if you don't get somebody else's take on it if you don't get somebody else's ears going hey if you did this or you switch this around or you raise this level or you eq'd it this way you're not going to get um you know a a, as good an end result honestly i think you're going to get a much better end result if you have another set of ears doing that final process
0: yeah and i'll say uh my idea of mastering is Let's just turn this volume up on this and see how good it sounds. Yeah, man,
1: just squash it. <laughs> Throw the limiters on there and get it up there.
0: <laughs> I'm the best at mastering. <laughs> so, yeah, don't do that. But, um, yeah, so obviously during the process of making this EP, you know, I'm actually provided some feedback back and forth because you actually yeah. have sent me some yeah. um, demo tracks and, and demo versions of the tracks. And, you know, at one point I really, really, really wanted to put some drums together for I think it was West to Desert. Yeah. Um, and it turns out I can't play drums as well as I thought. And I believe this song ended up being in like three, four timing or something. And it took me like a week to figure that out. And by the time I did, I was like, man, I'm a fucking idiot. Like I just spent a week trying to put a drum, drum thing to this that was in four, four timing. And it's been in the wrong timing the whole time. So uh, I think he did the smart thing and just said, fuck waiting for Isaac. I'm just going to like do this. And he, he's, he's never going to figure this shit out. He's not as good as uh, a drum machine. So, uh, you know, and, and it sounds great. So it's uh, obviously, you know, in my head, I wanted it to sound, something better for you, but my my abilities are not quite what I thought they were going to be. So how do you like using the non-human drums yourself? And uh, what has that kind of brought to the process as well?
1: Uh, that's a process I really enjoy. And, you know, I, I honestly, I wish that I were a better drummer because I, I look at awesome drummers and I admire them, you know, as much or more than I do great guitar players or great singers because, that is uh, an instrument or a set of instruments that is uh, very tough to master yeah. and um, you know I have enjoyed I think I have kind of maybe a unique approach to to doing digital drums I tend to go piece by piece and sample by sample and kind of piece them together as I go uh, which may not be the smartest way to do it because it ends up being pretty darn time consuming and you know I've always wanted my drums to sound like, a real drummer yeah instead of sounding like a drum machine
0: yeah I like did you, so, did you did like playing 64th notes all the time and like what, yeah you know, <laughs> I mean, you know
1: drum machines have they have a place and there's nothing wrong with them and certainly um you know there's a lot of awesome uh drum machines and loops and samples that you can use and uh, things like easy drummer or other uh plugins and softwares that you can use that are going to sound you know just as good if not better than the drum tracks that I'm making, but, um, I do find a lot of enjoyment in taking those individual hits, whether it's a snare or a kick or, uh, cymbals and, uh, you know, EQing them a little bit or adding a second layer to it to make it sound just a little bit different. And then trying to piece them together, like an actual drummer would piece a drum track together. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoy the musicality of drums for people who, you know, aren't playing just something four on the floor, you know, real standard. I think one of the drummers that you and I both really um, admire is the drummer from Coheed and Cambria. I think his name's Josh, Josh Eppard, yep. I think, if I right. recall yep. properly. And if you listen to any of his drum tracks from start to finish, you know, you could isolate just the drums and you can find a ton of musicality in what he's doing. And, you know, he's not always hitting snares on the downbeat and he's not always you know playing something that you would expect necessarily in in a rock song. Yeah. But from start to finish you feel it evolve yeah. and you kind of have a sense for the crescendo and you have a sense for uh you know where the builds are and all the different things and that's what I try to accomplish with building a drum track from from samples, you know. I, yeah, I, and, and I
0: mean you kind of hit the nail on the head there syncopation in, in in rock drumming isn't common necessarily. It's you know you don't hit on the off beats right like you just don't do it very often it's a funk thing it's a jazz thing but then when you put it into a rock song it changes the dynamic of that song to make it sound awesome when you blend it with the rest of the rock music right so the guitars yeah. and the vocals and stuff so i think a lot of that time you know it, it it's something that a, a, a standard drummer might not think about but a, a good drummer will you know neil pert or some or i should say parrot i believe is how it's pronounced but um some of these really really great drummers Mike Mancini, all these guys that just go out there and just absolutely like they have their own metronome playing for each limb. And it's like, how do you know what you're supposed to hit at the right time for each thing? And it makes no sense, but that's, you know, obviously you can kind of replicate that with a drum machine a lot easier than asking a buddy, Hey, come over and do this thing that I want to play on the drums.
1: (laughs) Most definitely. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I know another thing that you actually had mentioned was that, um, not only are you, are you finding that you have a, a deeper, more interested passion around, understanding drums and drum, you know, musicality and, and, and and all that stuff, but also playing the bass The you've been a lead guitar player for 25 years or so. uh, And now you're, you're really digging the bass. So kind of explain that experience and what's that led to with the music now as well.
1: Yeah, I think that came from building drum tracks and from kind of learning how the bass and the drums are sort of married you know yeah. with one another they 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 kind of can't exist without the other and um you know you consider a drummer and the bass player sort of the rhythm section of the band and that was something i never appreciated when i was you know, off in my own world trying to rip a guitar solo or
0: not, not like, paying you guys keep time. I'll be back in 30 seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: I'll just I'll do whatever, you know, I, I want to do and not really pay attention to the flow of the song. And yeah. I try to take up too much attention on stage. And, you know, meanwhile, you got the drummer and the bass player in the background trying to keep everything together. You know, they're the yeah. glue of the band trying to trying to hold down the rhythm and hold down the, uh, the groove. And uh, that's something that I've really grown to appreciate about bass. It's such a different approach to playing a stringed instrument than playing rhythm yeah. guitar or, or lead guitar. Like you it's really essentially have to a mix walk between string and percussion. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very percussive. As I mean, if you play it well, it's very yeah. percussive. Anyway, <laughs> it can still be very melodic, and you can find you know find those areas for those walking lines and those little lead lines and. Uh, yeah. The space in between where you can really accentuate the groove of the song, but really it comes down to locking in to that kick drum, locking into those downbeats yeah. and finding the space in between what everybody else is doing. So you're not overplaying. It's really yeah. easy. It's easy to overplay any instrument, but it's yeah. really easy to overplay bass. Yeah, and, and that's why I was players say players more world. than
0: anything. I think with playing bass, it's what you don't play that that makes things absolutely.
1: Even yeah. yeah, yeah, and and best players in the world know when not to play. That's yeah. you know the most important thing sometimes that you can do.
0: Yeah, and I think it's pretty interesting because you know of all the of all the band members, everybody always thinks the bassist is the most expendable, and I'm like, there's so much. And I, I talked to uh, uh you know a, a few musicians about this, and uh, one of the things I think that comes up is. There's an emotion behind the bass that gets tied to the sound. What I mean by that is the drums are the, the 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 rhythm, the groove, right? So like you hear that, that gets you, your body moving, right? So that's like, this is how you're going. The lyrics and the vocals and the guitar are all the, the high-end stuff that your brain's kind of capturing. The bass is actually what your body's feeling, like literally feeling through speakers, right? It's like... <laughs> And not only are you feeling that in your body, but then it kind of seeps into the emotion of the song and how that changes whether the guitar is slow or fast, the bass, whatever's happening with the bass is actually the end result of how the song feels to somebody.
1: Yeah, totally. And and you're right. I mean, those are the frequencies that you're you're hearing them with your ears a little bit, but yeah. you're very much feeling them with your body, especially when you get down, you know, like two hundred hertz and below. Yeah. That is stuff that is all feel. And, you know, if you're looking for, you know, whether it's dance music or hip hop or or whatever, or even good rock music, like you need that good bass line yeah. for the danceability of the song, for the groove of the song and and for the the feeling of the song. Without yeah. it, it's you know, I don't know if you've ever tried to play a show without a bass player, but you know, it is it's nothing like playing with a bass player like you have to have that instrument there yeah. even if you're not hearing a whole hell of a lot of it you got to have it there or something is just wrong it's it it's sounds not,
0: you know missing something's not yeah happening. yeah
1: yeah so whether it's you know playing a bass part on a synth or something like you have to have that low end it, it's absolutely critical to a song
0: yeah and obviously it's nothing to say about you know people that play slap and pop style where it's like funk and it's a little higher on the on the on the octaves and the, and the frets and the range and the frequencies but um yeah most of those bass players still bring it back down to the low end in yeah. certain parts of the song it's not like they're staying all up on the high and plucking and, and popping and stuff but um you can definitely tell the difference between the feeling of a song where somebody's playing slap and pop versus somebody who's playing the low register and just kind of playing with the with percussion sure um, so um it it's it's i think it's an astute observation that a lot of people don't even especially non-musicians don't even think about it, and even people who are kind of in bands, not like you said, not the bass player. Don't even think about the actual character that the bass brings to the band. And when you don't have that there, you know that something's missing.
1: Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people, when you're starting a band, when you're 20 years old or whatever, nobody wants to be the bass player. You have a thousand people who already play guitar and think (laughs) that they're the world's greatest songwriter. And then somebody else, you know, who's been singing in their shower or singing karaoke their whole life. They think that they're the next, you know, Rod Stewart or, Steve Perry. And so you've got the lead singers, you've got the guitar players. And then what do you do to find a bass player? You go, Oh, well, uh, Jim knows how to play guitar. So let's yeah. go down to the guitar center and buy a bass. You can figure out how to do that. No problem. <laughs> All right, Jim, you're the bass player in the band. Let's go start a band. Yeah, <laughs> So it, it is sort of, it's a forgotten instrument in, in certain regards, but, um, the, the deeper you dig into, uh, you know, the required, components of actually having a dynamic band the more you appreciate uh, how important that bass aspect is
0: yeah and i actually talked to uh and this will be an upcoming episode after this one but i talked to uh, the drummer from the, the punk band clowns uh and he actually said basically nobody's a bass player they're all converted from something else and yeah exactly right <laughs> yep <laughs> like you, you can only find a, a solid bass player if they've already played bass in a band after they converted from something else. But yeah, it's, nobody ever starts on bass, it seems like. But back when I was in high school, I actually, well, three people I convinced to, to do bass from nothing. I, I was like, you're gonna be the bass player, but it was like me pushing them, right? So I was a friend, two friends in high school for my, my high school band. And then it was actually our, our mutual friend, Joe, who actually became an excellent drummer, I convinced him to buy a bass so we could play music together and then he was like well let's get a drum set too and i was like all right well we bought a drum set shared that and he got way more into the drums and we just didn't have a bass player again (laughs) yeah so that's pretty much how it goes but yeah and now one thing i actually always found found fascinating about you as a musician is that um you picked up a lot of things pretty damn quickly and i'd say that uh, you've been good at guitar for a long time so uh, you know, and this is like you said, you were also in golf and you you have like a lot of these other like random hidden talents. Like you can throw washers into a flat board better than me for some reason. I'm like, what the hell? Like, how are you better at all these dumb things than me? And like the things that I like, like guitar and golf, you're also better than me. And I'm like, you're a son of a bitch. But I've always thought that was pretty awesome. And and I really, I always looked up to a lot of the things you did because I'm actually older than you. But at the same time, I've been playing <laughs> longer than you. But at the same time, you you pick things up faster because I think you got into one thing where I was into kind of spreading my, I guess, musical talents across multiple instruments. So that way I can figure out how to make one song and compose it, whereas you were like locked in. So what, what do you think is like maybe that's it or maybe there's something else? But what is the key to getting good at something from your perspective? Because, you know, like I said, you're, you're good at golf, you're good at pool, you are good at all these other things. But it's not just random, like you don't just pick it up one day and like, hey, I'm awesome at this thing.
1: Uh, getting obsessed with something, you know, like you said, I, I have a tendency to kind of lock into one thing for long periods of time and with guitar, you know, particularly with uh, with lead guitar, that was something where I just found myself constantly wanting to, to pick a guitar up and run through scales or see what a new thing sounded like or um, just, you know, repetition over and over and over yeah. and over again. And I had some other people when I was first picking it up, um, that, you know, were maybe even more driven than me, or I shouldn't say maybe they were definitely more driven than me. And so I was able to look up to them and go, Holy shit. Like you, you know how to play that. I better, (laughs) you know, I better up my game here because you're going to be running laps around me pretty soon. Uh, if I don't figure out how to, how to keep up. So, um, I have, uh, you know, in recent years, maybe, gone the opposite direction where i i've started to try to like dabble in different things you know and now probably find myself uh spread a little bit too thin across you know too broad a spectrum and i'm trying to kind of rein it back in and uh focus a little bit more on uh you know just a few things so I, i find myself now playing more rhythm guitar trying to learn other people's songs which is something that I never used to take the time to do. I yeah. always wanted to write things on my own and come up with new unique things that nobody else had ever heard of. Um, but now I'm, I'm finding a greater appreciation for, uh, you know, learning what other people play and mm-hmm. and kind of getting uh, an idea from their perspective of how they approach songwriting or um, why they do a certain thing a, a certain way. And, yeah. you know, that can be beneficial to your playing, too, because, again, sure. you, you can get locked into um again like i talked about before you get locked into a rut and in your own playing you know you you develop your own habits and some are good some are bad and some you rely on way too much and yeah. you know learning other people's music is a good way to break out of those habits sometimes and learn a fresh approach to to doing something
0: 100% yeah i mean you know you don't even realize that some certain songs have a certain sound that you can't replicate until you then you can try to figure out how to play it you're like oh it's just a seventh chord or a minor chord and you're like i would have never even thought to play that weird little chord that makes that sound unless you picked up and try to learn somebody else's music um same thing with like little riffs or little leads right like oh here's like a really cool you know lead part that's on the lower register of the guitar versus all playing up in the you know 12 15 you know fret area and, and just leading up there so you know a lot of people like to shred and go high because it sounds really cool and it's like a wailing sound but There's a lot of low-end lead that, you know, if you go listen to some songs that have low-end lead, you're like, that's equally fascinating. But most people, most, I think, average music fans or whatever kind of glaze over that because it's not ripping and shredding into their ear, right? So there's a lot of things, I think, and you're right, that, you know, when you go into it and look at the deeper parts of it, um, I've actually spent more time in the last five years or four years learning more of that stuff because, for I don't know, 15 years, I kind of got lazy and, and only played whenever I wanted to. And when I played when I wanted to, I'd only be strumming and, and rhythm and, and making a song or you know just playing a cover just to play, just to keep up, but never really digging into some of that other stuff. So yeah, I agree. Like you know, I I listen to a lot of Joe Walsh lately, and his little his little riffs are seemingly insanely easy to play. And then you go to try to play it and be like, how the hell does he do this so effortlessly? It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so cool. So as you're starting to go, obviously, home recording, home everything, right? I mean, nobody really has to go out into a studio these days if they don't want to, but they do have to get the skills, right? But is there anything like maybe gear-wise that you're finding has helped you either, you know, pass live shows to kind of get a sound that you want or home recording or just anytime that you want to sit down and actually play music, is there anything that you use that is kind of like without this, I probably wouldn't be making music to a level that I want.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it kind of starts with, a you know, a decent enough computer, unfortunately, that can, <laughs> that can handle a, a digital audio workstation without a ton of latency. And, yeah. you know, a, a DAW that um, has some of those tools that, uh, can be really beneficial, like a, a good compressor. A good compressor is something that is worth its weight in gold, uh, in my opinion, for getting your songs right from the get-go to sound a little bit more professional. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things where you can certainly overdo it, um, but you know, compression is its used by everybody. And it's something that if you're not finding the ways to uh, tastefully use compression in your home audio recordings. I recommend you take a deep dive on, um, you know, how to utilize just a basic compressor. I use studio one as a workstation and their stock compressor is awesome. I mean, it's, uh, crazy. The number of things that you can do with it, whether it's just, you know, raising the noise floor on something or, uh, kind of tempering the, uh, the spikes in something that you might've maybe recorded too loud, or, yeah. uh, you know, you want to tame down a little bit, or, uh, you can use it as a de for your vocals, which is something that. Again, I think that's a great tool if you're recording at home and if you're singing at home in a less than ideal environment, uh, finding those ways to treat your vocals and process your vocals. So they sound a little bit more professional, yeah. um, is, is really important.
0: And yeah, because so, anybody can sing into a microphone, but it sounds like you're maybe standing in a hallway or something if you don't do it right.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and that being said, you know, on this uh, record, I found myself recording my vocals in a car a lot, <laughs> which is kind of a, a unique approach maybe. It's something that I d- didn't do on the first record. But, um, you know, most people don't have rooms that are treated, that are set up to do audio recording in. Yep. So the more you can do... Um, away from environments like that, I think the better. You know, you can try Mm -hmm. to put up foam and you can try to get in a corner of the room where you're minimizing the reflections and uh, getting as good a sound you can, but nothing is gonna be as good as a, you know, professionally uh, done up studio. So, you know, going straight into the box, as they say, as much as you can, I think is really important. You know, just plugging straight in Mm -hmm. and, you know, doing a lot of the, the processing and everything like that inside the workstation, instead of trying to put an amp in your room and mic the amp and, uh, you know, get all your levels right that way. Um, I think it's, it's much easier to find yourself a good amp modeling pedal. I use one by tech 21 that is freaking awesome. I think it's called a GT two. Um, you know, it's really simple. It gives you like three tones and then it, um, kind of mimics different mic placements on a cab and, um, you know, gives you what appears to be a a mic guitar sound, you know, being played out of a tube amp or being played out of a stack. But you're avoiding all of the hassle and the stress of actually turning on that amp and finding the best place in the room and figuring out where you're supposed to put the mic.
0: Getting a good and, enough microphone to actually record it. Properly. Getting a good
1: <laughs> enough microphone to actually deal with it and, and not having to deal with the buzz and everything else that, yeah. you know, is... Resulting from plugging into a high gain amp. So, yeah, you know, I think a good a good amp model or a good preamp, um, and then go to town. You know, just go straight into the box and do a lot of that processing. Get your levels right. Make sure that you're not you know blowing yeah. uh, blowing the speakers out, and make sure that you're not recording too quietly. But you know, get those levels somewhat close to right, and uh, then do all your processing afterwards. Yeah. You can get those better sounds that way much faster.
0: I think a couple of like hidden things that a lot of people don't even think about is, yeah, what mic are you using to record? Cause a standard regular singing microphone might not be good enough for the recording process that you might have, or, you know, the cables that you're using might not yeah. carry a yeah. quality enough uh, sound through them. And yeah. there's a lot of little things like that. So it, I would say, first of all, if you're looking at doing home recording, do some research, try to get a decent quality setup. Um, don't just, you know unless you're like me and just like hey i'm just doing demo tracks all the time so it's like it's not that big a deal i can always go back and do it later uh i do have decent microphones i do have a decent i, I use you know studio one as well and some of this other stuff um but yeah i mean you can always make it better and that's the thing you can end up spending more than you might even spend to go into a studio and record it if you just practice enough to go in for a couple of days right so there are ups and downs and, and pros and cons but um highly recommend spending some time learning about the systems uh you know obviously what DSing? what is you know what is a daw how how does any of this stuff make any sense and where where you know where does the compression come in all that stuff is worth understanding if you're going to do home recording so um did you actually did you go through any sort of like youtube training or how did you kind of learn yourself
1: oh yeah plenty of youtube training youtube is amazing i'd be lost (laughs) without youtube (laughs) Um, There's, you know, there's a few people that also use Studio One that have tons of tutorials. Joe Gilder is one that comes to mind um, that he's been out and about for years and years. I've relied on him quite a lot. Um, And yeah, you know, you just, uh, if you want to figure out how something works, you want to figure out how to, you know, how to record vocals in a decent way when you don't have a decent room you want to figure out how to work compressor on a guitar or on vocals or on a bass guitar or you want to figure out how to eq something look it up on youtube you know there's yeah. endless endless content there
0: yeah.
1: and uh, plenty of stuff that you can find that is you know going to help you to be uh, more than serviceable if you take the time to actually learn how how those things work
0: yeah and i know one for me the biggest thing that i had an issue with was latency so i found a way to bypass the latency finally and now i can actually finally record tracks without having everything sound like it's off time so i look forward to actually trying to re-record some stuff soon
1: <laughs> yeah there you go yeah it's kind of impossible to record when you've got that uh you know delay going on in, in yeah. the background it's, it might just
0: be like less than a snap like it's, yeah. it's that small so you can't hear it right away but then when you put the song together you're like something's not right i can't tell which instrument it is but it, the whole damn thing seems off now mm-hmm. and it, it gets really frustrating for sure mm-hmm. So were there any techniques, well, well, we'll go back to kind of talking about guitar playing, were there any techniques or anything that like you, you had some challenges around when you were first learning, or, um, was there something that you, when you discovered how this thing worked or this, this scale work or this, you know, plucking technique or whatever, was there anything like that when you first started that kind of like took your guitar playing to another level?
1: Um, l- learning syncopated rhythms, I think is, yeah. is huge. You know, a lot of people, um. When when you go to strum on a guitar for the first time, you're going to have a natural rhythm, you're going to have a natural kind of cadence to your body, like everybody has a natural uh, rhythm and cadence to how they walk and how they talk. And that lends itself to how you strum on a guitar as well. So, again, you know, learning how other people strum a guitar like I, for one, I would never go and strum only downbeats. You know, like a lot of punk songs, you got that just straight down, 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 down. I, that is not natural to me whatsoever. I would never pick up a guitar and think to do that. So learning how to do that, learning how to, you know, incorporate palm muting into something like that, or just the occasional up uptick into something like that, just to throw, throw the rhythm off just for a second. um, I think those things are huge. And yeah. so being able to to learn some of those things and incorporate some of those things into my rhythm playing uh, were were monumental for helping me to become, you know, a more proficient rhythm guitar player for sure.
0: Yeah, and that's actually interesting that you mentioned that because about four years ago, I was playing with my my uh, my dad. He He's a huge old country fan, Johnny Cash, all that kind of stuff. And that's always like the, uh, it's like the doom, chicka, doom, chicka, doom, chicka, doom. And I'm like, how, what kind of rhythm is that? I've that would never think to even play that rhythm. It sounds like a train, kind of like chug, 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 chug. And I'm just like, okay. So every time I would sit there and think to listen to it, I'm like, I my natural is like, it's like, like a four or five part strumming pattern. And it's never like a doom, chicka, doom, chicka, chicka, doom, or something like that. Yeah. So I had to really like focus and figure out how they did it. And so it's like bass note, couple strums, bass note, couple strums. And I'm like, That's not natural at all for me to strum that. And so I think you're right. I mean, a lot of that stuff is the way that you can get out of your own head is by getting into somebody else's head and bringing that back into yourself. Because, you know, I've been solo essentially as a, as a guitar singer or guitar player, singer songwriter for, I don't know, 20 years now. Um, I have played drums in a band once, but, uh, in between it's like, you're just listening to yourself. And if you don't, bring in extra places to get influences and, and new ideas, you're going to sound so similar that you're going to get sick of yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and sometimes eliminating something from the equation can be really important too. you know, like I heavily relied on a pick for the first mm-hmm. 15 years or so that I played guitar, everything was picked. Um, the last three years or so I have hardly picked up a pick the entire time, I kind of forced myself to learn how to finger pick and to learn how to strum with just, you know, my forefinger and my thumb. And that has helped me to evolve quite a bit and to kind of learn new approaches. And I'm, I'm glad that I did. You know, at first it was just extremely painful. Uh, not only uh, emotionally painful because I couldn't play anything in time. I couldn't keep, you know, a good rhythm. Everything was off. I would miss strings. I would flub notes. I would, you know, it was, it was horrible Uh, not to mention the fact I wasn't practicing enough. So, you know, then you throw that into the equation too. And it was just a, it was a circus of a mess. Um, But then, you know, also people, uh, have a tendency to maybe underappreciate the the physicality of playing guitar strings and what it does to your fingertips when you're yeah. playing over and over and over <laughs> again you know uh it can it can really wear away at uh at your fingers so um mm-hmm. it's been good for me to build up those uh those calluses on my right hand too you know you got them on your left hand from fretting uh all the time and you know oh, I thought you were saying something by
0: doing that yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, we can edit that out, right? Um, but yeah, it's been good for me to uh, to exercise that right hand a little bit more and get more proficient with some of those things. And, you know, the yeah. next step for me is, again, trying to go a little bit further down that, uh, that road with learning some of those traditional finger picking techniques, like Travis picking is one, chicken picking, stuff yeah. like that, that you hear it in, in country songs and bluegrass and all sorts of stuff um it comes very naturally to some people it does not come naturally to me at all so yeah. you know learning spanish
0: flamenco things. style is like i don't even understand that like i don't think i'll ever be able to comprehend the level of speed that it takes in your right hand to play that because like i can't even play that fast with my left hand <laughs> so like, yeah to try to multiply that effort twice i'll be like no nah, i'm definitely lost but yeah i yeah. cannot believe how people can do that yeah so no well. yeah cool um yeah. So I want to obviously have you kind of explain more and just kind of re the, the the new Saintly Patience EP one more time before we go. What can they expect from the music? Where can they go check it out once it's ready?
1: What can you expect from the music? Um, some auditory chaos, I think. There's there's a lot of stuff that I listen to and I go, oh man, I should have done that differently. I should have EQ'd that differently. I should have tweaked that a different direction, but you know, my I guess you got to call done done sometimes. And, you know, it was definitely time for me to be done with this project and move on to something something new. Um, There's some longer songs on this one than I traditionally have written in the past. There's a couple that are up over six minutes and, you know, definitely uh, venturing into more of kind of a prog rock realm. Um, Got some pretty heavy guitar solos in there that I'm, I'm really proud of and Uh, will certainly have a tough time recreating live if, (laughs) (laughs) if I'm ever asked to play him live. And that's another one of those downfalls of home recording is you can find yourself in a groove sometimes. And, you know, you're just, uh, you're just going, not thinking about it. You know, you're, you're recording and just whatever comes, comes. And sometimes you play something where you go, whoa, uh, that was awesome. Definitely keeping that. And then you go back to try to replay it and you go, Oh gosh, that, uh, how did I just played something that is actually beyond my capabilities. (laughs) I don't know that I'm going to be able to ever recreate that, but, uh, but nonetheless, you know, they, they made their way onto the album. So,
0: yeah. um, And I keep saying like, it's one of those things. Like I just keep thinking I'm a shitty guitar player because I can't recreate what I've recorded, but I'm like, I did it once. I could do it again. And I'm like, Somewhat, mostly. <laughs> I
1: think. It's yeah. Weird. I mean, again, I think it just probably comes down to repetition. And yeah. you know, if you if you start playing it back over and over and over again, first of all, figure out what the damn notes are because yeah. that's hard enough. If if you don't have a great ear for music theory or you're not, you know, naturally and or not naturally inclined, but. Um, you know, if you don't understand music theory, if you don't understand the, the movement of the music from a theoretical standpoint, it can be kind of difficult to go back and figure out what the hell you were playing. But figure yeah. that out first, and then you just play it over and over and over again, and you know, eventually you get something that's at least close enough that it's passable. Yeah. Somebody will listen to it and go, "Okay, well, I, I, it sounds close enough to the <laughs> original thing, so we'll let yeah. it fly."
0: Yeah, and and you could just say, "Oh no, I messed it up that time," like I've yeah, always exactly. done.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's it's six songs, five of them have uh, lyrics, one's an instrumental. Um, the lyrics, you know, I, I've been uh, spending a lot of time with my wife and kids in the last yeah. five plus years. I mean, my oldest kid is going on eight years old now. And uh, all the songs that I had written for the first album came prior to me having a wife and kids. And so, you know, they were largely based on non-relationship sort of uh themes and motifs and now this one tends to be a little bit more about kind of the struggles of uh you know dealing with the same person each and every day and (laughs) many of them probably coming more from her perspective than mine because I'm probably much more frustrating than she is to have to deal with on a regular basis. (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of digging into my own insecurities and digging into my own uh, fundamental flaws as a human being, which, uh, you know, can lead to some uh, emotional moments for me. It's been interesting typing out the lyric sheets and everything to these as I get them finalized for distribution and everything. And I find myself going, Oh, man, that's kind of heavy. <laughs> that That is uh, probably kind of, uh, you know, one of the tough aspects of, of me being me. But, you know, sometimes digging into your own insecurities and your own failures as a human being is a good spot to find some creative juices for making good music.
0: Yeah, and and ideally to help you grow. But. If not, well, then maybe you just make better music because you don't. Grow.
1: Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like those people who uh, get into relationships just to break up so that they've got fuel for their next album or the, for their next movie or whatever. Are it's you like, talking well, about
0: Taylor Swift?
1: <laughs> I don't know if I am who, whomever, you know. Um, but yeah, you can, uh, you know, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Common Ear Music, on Instagram at Common Ear Music. Got a website, Common ear.net. Uh, basically, it's just both of the EPs sitting up there. I, you know, I've got dreams and aspirations of putting a blog up there or doing something else with it all in due time. But right now, the focus is just on getting this album out and getting all the finishing pieces done there so that I actually have something to promote and something to uh, look back on and say it's a completed project. So nice. um, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Oh, and then I would be uh, remiss if I didn't mention Bandcamp because you can go to Bandcamp right now commonere.bandcamp.com and pre-order the album that'll give you access to two of the tracks and uh then you know first uh first mover advantage when the album releases on 1022
0: nice awesome and i know i think it i can't remember the name of the song it's something with iron what's the name of the iron iron and fire iron and fire i believe it's on that song you have a pretty ripping guitar solo if i'm not mistaken
1: yeah, that one ends ends with a guitar solo as a as an outro, which is kind of fitting, you know. That, that concludes the album. Yeah. And uh, you know, lead guitar again. It was kind of my original passion, and something that I still, if if anybody asked me to join a band right now, or I found the motivation to join a band right now, you know, I, I could very well find myself joining in that lead guitar role. Uh, it's just always been something that I've really enjoyed. Some of my, you know. Biggest musical inspirations are great lead guitar players, and it's something that I find myself uh, always wanting to kind of gravitate uh, gravitate back towards. So, yeah, uh, yeah, probably fitting that you know the the album closes on a guitar solo.
0: Yeah. So the, <clears throat> I guess the moral of the the conversation we had today, or the the end result of the conversation, is somebody get Mitch into a band. He needs to get out of his house and away from his wife <laughs> and kids. <laughs>
1: Yeah, just uh, maybe don't push my wife too hard on that because I'm not I'm not so sure how how well she'll take that. But
0: just come over to Mitch's house and practice. Yeah, fine. there you go. We'll <laughs>
1: we'll uh, practice in the garage. There you
0: go. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. We'll add the links to the music in, in the show notes below this episode. And uh, did you have any final words that you wanted to mention or anything else that you had before we go? You know, um, I uh, I personally think that you know you put out some fantastic music both in bands and solo. And I think people, if they don't spend time learning and, and listening to new music from, you know, independent artists and, 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 you know, you know, indie rock dads like yourself, then, then they kind of miss something with, with the music world in the community in general. So, you know, I'll say that about you, but did you have anything that you wanted to kind of end with before we go today?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll gladly add to that. I, I completely agree with you there. I think that we've maybe lost a little bit of individuality and nuance when it comes to radio music and, and, you know, um, the, uh, the bigger producers and and the acts that uh, find themselves on the top 40 or whatever. It's, it's all in my mind and in my ear, it's kind of becoming the same thing. You know, you could almost play the songs on top of one another and, and, uh, end up with things sounding the same sometimes. So I would agree, you know, go out and uh, check out new bands on Bandcamp or uh, Instagram or Twitter or wherever and uh, get a sense for what people are doing when they are not being influenced by, you know, a greater machine. And, yeah. uh, you know, that that music machine is, um, it's good at what it does. You know, it churns out the hits over and over and over again. But I think you do lose a lot of soul and passion and individuality sometimes. And that's not to say that my music is, um, you know, chock full of all that. And, you know, there's you're going to hear a lot more.
0: definitely passionless money. and you're in it for the money. We get it.
1: Yeah, there you go. You're, you're going you're gonna to be able to hear a lot more mistakes. And I think a lot more of the, the process sometimes comes through in music that is independently produced and recorded. And, you know, that can be interesting. Um, it can be enlightening sometimes. And, and if you're trying to make music on your own, uh, you know, being able to listen to songs like that and learn, learn from my mistakes, learn from other people's mistakes where, you know, we probably didn't EQ everything properly and we probably didn't compress everything properly. And we certainly didn't uh, rely on perfect recording environments, but you know, you end up with what you end up with and then you you move on. That's, that's the only other thing that I'll add is, you know, if you're trying to do this, just keep moving, um, you know, write a song, Get it down on paper. Get it down on on your workstation, and you know, eventually move on. Move on to something else. Keep growing. Keep building. Pick up another instrument. Learn something new. Um, as long as you keep doing that, you know, you'll find the inspiration to keep making music. It's when you find yourself sitting in one spot for too long that that inspiration sort of fades, and then you know, you find yourself lacking the uh, desire to to do it again. So keep moving.
0: That's my life in a nutshell. Thanks a lot, Mitch. That's real downer for me. <laughs> <laughs> No, they're great words of advice. And I absolutely agree. If you want to make this either a long-term passion or hobby, or, uh, you know, want to take this to higher levels, you can't stop. You got to keep moving forward and you got to find new ways to be creative because, you know, I've always thought like at some point I'm going to run out of song ideas and somehow I never do, but they just come less often maybe than they used to, but that's because I'm less active than I used to be. So like the more active you become, the quicker everything comes. And and that's just how it's going to be. So if you really want to keep this going, just keep going and 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 actually do it. So great words of advice. Uh, obviously, I want to thank my good buddy Mitch from Commoner for the awesome conversation today. And if you haven't checked out his music yet, which you probably haven't, but this is a great introduction for you to do so. Make sure to go to the show notes below this episode for all the links. If you like what you heard on the show, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends on social media. Also, if you want to check out some of our written content or any of the products or merch that are we have available, go to poweredbyrock.com to read our absolutely free rocking blog full of album reviews, interviews, and lists to keep you entertained. And go find our gear as well so you can pick up some items to play and look like a rock legend. Actually, Mitch was our technically our first sponsored uh, musician. So there you go. He's first Powered by Rock sponsored musician. We got him some free gear. That's our show for today. We'll see you soon for the next episode. Until then, rock on.